Hello, it's Bernard Nomberg with the Nomberg Law Firm in Birmingham, Alabama. Thank you for tuning in to Nomberg Law Live podcast. Each week, I try to bring interesting conversations with people in their areas of expertise. Montgomery, Alabama attorney Mike Andrews is my guest. Mike and I grew up together in Dothan and have remained friends ever since. Mike's practice focuses on aviation litigation. He is so very well versed in this area and provides a lot of great information that we all should be knowledgeable about. We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Nomberg Law Live podcast. If you like this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and a review and subscribing will ensure that you get each podcast as they come out on a weekly basis. Thank you again. Good morning. It's Bernard Nomberg with another weekly episode of Nomberg Law Live. I hope you guys are doing well out there. It's Tuesday, 10 o'clock Central, and I've got my buddy from Dothan, from childhood, Mike Andrews with me. Good morning, Mike. How you doing, my friend? Morning, Bernard. Thanks for having me today. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Guys, as you know, I try each week for us to have conversations with interesting people about things in their areas of expertise. And this is certainly no exception. Mike is is an attorney with the Beasley Allen firm in Montgomery, and he specializes in aviation law. And before we get into that, uh, Mike, if you would, just tell us a little bit about yourself personally and, and about your practice. Sure. Well, as you said, we grew up knowing each other and, and being friends uh, way back in the day down in Dothan. Um, I went to law school after a long time working in a family business and, uh, back in the late nineties sort of began my practice in, in product liability and personal injury law. Um, over the years, uh, if you try to think of different cases that I've handled, um, you know, construction equipment, um, which would include excavators and forklifts and, road boring equipment. Um, I've worked on um, industrial equipment, which would include machinery used to manufacture car parts and the big pieces of of cars, Uh, agricultural equipment, uh, uh, like a three-point tractor-mounted post hole digger, which is the auger, you know, that that drills down in the ground. Uh, I've had a couple of those cases. Uh, And then in automotive cases, both in in passenger cars and in heavy trucks, uh, fuel systems, seat backs, roof crush, uh, firewall containment if a fire breaks out under the hood of a vehicle, uh, lots of seatbelt cases, turbocharger cases in a diesel vehicle, um, airbags, uh, gosh, what else? Rollover, tires, a little bit of everything in terms of Passenger vehicles. Well, this, um, this area, what you're describing, for those people who don't know or don't do this kind of work or not been exposed to it, it's product liability cases. And Mike, if you would, just as a as a broad spectrum, what does that mean? What's a product liability case? Why is it important for attorneys like you and your firm to pursue such a, such type cases? Sure. Well, a product is one of these things. The definition can include most anything. Uh, sometimes you think of a household appliance as being a product or 
a pen, for example, or a computer being a product. Uh, but a product is something that can, uh, that encompasses automobiles and heavy equipment and agricultural equipment, manufacturing equipment, uh, any, any disposable or usable product that is, that, that is capable of harming someone has the potential to wind up in my office involved in a case. Uh, and then, of course, some of these products are more complex than others which sort of evolved my practice a little bit into aviation law. Uh, and so over the years, again, going back to the 90s, uh, late 90s, I began handling some aviation cases. And then over the years, uh, have handled cases involving uh, flight schools, uh, in involving the training that's provided in a flight school or the equipment that the flight school has has put some students into as part of their training, which again can get you back to a product case because one of the cases I'm thinking of was a flight school that uh, was sending some guys who were there for training up in an aircraft that uh, needed some modifications and repair done. And so while they were flying, they, they suffered a failure and a crash. And uh, part of that case sort of led to a product issue, uh, a defect in a product, a product that did not perform in the way that it was intended or expected to during the normal course of its use. Now, I've handled, let, me ask you, let me ask you about that sure. real quick, and I, and, we, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think it's important. In the United States, in our way of life, we expect that if products, if, if cars, if refrigerators, you name it, are put into commerce for the general public to purchase and use as intended, there's a certain level of expectation that those items are going to perform as they're designed to be, hopefully, but more importantly, as they're represented to be. We have, for example, this car. Our car is one of the safest after all this testing. We, we are holding ourselves out to be such a safe car, an automobile, Families, you should trust what we're selling and what we're telling you is a safe car. But in fact, inevitably, at some point or another, there will be mistakes or accidents or crashes that lead to terrible consequences. And ultimately, that leads to lawyers such as yourself and your firm investigating into those things as to why and how this crash occurred or this product failed, which led to those injuries. And what you guys bring, and I commend your firm and what you do and, and other attorneys who do the kind of work that you do, you bring to the attention of the general public just that. You're telling the general public in your own way, whether it's through litigation, through publicity, or through just results that you guys get, you're informing the general public, hey, there are products out here that you need to be aware of. You need to be aware that they may or may not function and, and act the way that they are represented to be. And that's why I think the kind of work that you guys do is just so very important. And I didn't, I didn't mean to, to really interrupt what you were telling us, Mike, but I wanted to make sure that the public understands that the type of work that you do, you're not just going after big companies for the publicity of it, you're going after certain companies that make products that are not up to par. And I know that from the, the different types of, of cases that you just described, whether it's uh, farming equipment 
or automobiles, you name it, that you've handled. That's that's the, the, the design behind this or the purpose behind this. But ultimately, I know in the last decade or so, it's led you into the aviation field. And that's really where I kind of want to go as to why and how it got, how did you get going into that specific area and how do you approach those those type cases? Sure, and feel free to interrupt me anytime. Obviously, we're just going to have a conversation about There's this. Free flow in here. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I, I mean, sort of tying back into what we said earlier, uh, an aircraft, an airplane is a product. It's a product that uh, you depend on. You expect it to perform the same way every time. And that expectation is something that is reasonable for both the, uh, the flying public, the passengers on the plane to expect every time you get in, the plane is gonna take off safely, fly safely and, and land safely. Uh, but it's also something that is an expectation that's reasonable for the pilots to expect. Um, as a pilot, you have to be able to expect and anticipate that your aircraft is going to respond the same way every time you make an input. If you set the, the flaps at a given level, if you set the throttle position for the power for the engines at a given level, uh, if you push the button to let the landing gear down, you expect that to work. Uh, and each one of these things has to work correctly in order for the plane to land safely. So. Years ago, we were fortunate to begin to have an opportunity to look at aviation cases, um, cases in which planes had crashed, either military planes, uh, civilian planes, small personal private aircraft or large uh, commercial passenger aircraft. And uh, these cases, you know, they don't always occur right where you want them to be. They don't occur in your backyard on a paved runway. Uh, they, they're all over the world. And so as an outgrowth of that, we've had to, to develop a practice in which we are prepared to go wherever it is in the world. We need to go to inspect and, and investigate a case immediately or as soon as we can. Uh, because one of the things that's important, not just in aviation cases and not just in product cases, but in any case, you want to secure the evidence as soon as possible so that you can go back then and look and, and piece together. Because one of the biggest things that, that my clients, if I were to, to try to come up with a common theme among all of my clients over the years, it's this, they want answers. They wanna know what happened. They wanna know why did this happen? And, and then after they learn that, they wanna know, well, is there something that could be done to prevent this from happening to someone else? And I hear that more often than not, uh, this, this idea that, you know, okay, this has happened to us, we can't go back and undo this, we can't bring our family member back, but what can we do to prevent this from happening to another? And so that's, that's an important part of what all of us as lawyers do, is to, to try to learn or, or help assist manufacturers and companies learn from mistakes of the past and not repeat those in the future, not continue to put out uh, an automobile that has a defect that you knew about. Um, and, you know, I, I heard this years ago uh, from someone who just was an off-the-cuff remark, and it, and it made, a, uh, made an impact on me. You know, they said, well, why should I care about that kind of case? Because I'm never going to have that product. I'm never going to own that tractor. I'm never going to be involved in that line of work. Why should this matter to me, right? And... 
if you think about something as recent in the news as the the General Motors ignition switch litigation, right? Uh, and and for folks who don't remember, that was simply this: there was a group, a large group of vehicles manufactured by General Motors for a span of years that, as you're driving down the road, if you hit a bump, if you knock the steering column with your knee, you hit the key fob that was hanging, you could cause that car to move from the on position, the ignition, the key switch, to an accessory position or even an off position without reaching up there and doing it, okay? Now, obviously that creates lots of problems. If you're driving down the road and your car cuts off on you, um, the first thing you lose is power steering, you lose power brakes, you also lose your safety system. You lose anti-lock brakes. You can lose airbags. Uh, you can lose um, uh, all of the electronic stability control, potentially. If those are tied to the switch position in the ignition, then you lose those. And, and what we saw, what I personally saw in cases that I handled in that type of litigation, was that people who were not in those cars but are in another car uh, were injured or killed when one of these defective General Motors ignition switch cars lost control, lost the ability to stop, lost power steering, uh, and hit one of these other cars. And so anyone in the public uh, is at risk from a defective product at any given time. And so the, the, what we do uh, is vitally important. Uh, it serves a societal role in uh, in helping to provide safer products, you know, and that, that ties back into aviation. Obviously. Absolutely. Mike, thanks for, for sharing that. For those of you just joining us, I want to welcome Stephanie Liu. I want to welcome April Curtis, Hartsfield, Shane Barnes, Ronnie Elias, all of you watching us from different areas. Uh, Dad just joined us. Good morning, Dad. We're talking with Mike Andrews with the Beasley Allen Law Firm in Montgomery. Uh, Mike is in the area or in the Department of Products Liability, more specifically aviation law. And we're about to really kind of dive into that area. Uh, Mike's been telling us a little bit about really why they get into that, why he does that type of work, and why it's so important for the general public to know the type of cases and what's out there and what products are safe and what products and why they may not be safe. Mike, let's kind of shift now into the aviation practice that you've got going on. And I know you've been on, you've been to different parts of the world many times over this past year alone. So talk to us a little bit about how you got into aviation law and, and where your practice is right now. Sure. Uh, well, since May of this year, I've been to Africa four times, uh, Kenya, Ethiopia, and Egypt, meeting with families who lost family members in the crash of Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302. As part of that work, I also spent time meeting with the uh, Ethiopian transportation minister, which is a cabinet level official in their government. Uh, I met with the director of their civil aviation authority. I met with the uh, CEO and different personnel with Ethiopian airlines, and then a number of families in all of those countries. For those that may not be familiar with the crash back in, uh, in March, of this year, a 737 MAX, which is just a, a newer variant of a Boeing 737 airplane, uh, crashed about six minutes after takeoff, 
from the airport there in uh, in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. It was headed down to Nairobi, which should only be about an hour and a half, an hour and 40 minute flight. It, amazingly, there was a, a UN meeting and lots of uh, World Food Bank folks. Uh, and so there were people from about 35 different countries represented on this flight. Um, there were, you know, uh, 100 and, 150, 149 passengers on the plane and then eight crew. So 157, 58 uh, people on the plane. Um, and again, folks from, from 35 or so different countries around the world. Um, pretty soon after the plane took off from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, the pilots realized they had a problem. Uh, rather than climbing like it should, the plane began to try to force itself down. The nose began to dip, and it's beginning to fight, fight the pilots as they're taking off. Um, they, they struggle to reach an appropriate altitude, and uh, just a few minutes into the flight, the pilots radio back to the control tower and, and tell the guys, look, we got a problem. We need permission to come back and land. And so they made it out. Um, not far and, and turned to come back. Uh, six minutes into the flight, the plane crashed into uh, kind of a desert area uh, out east of Addis Ababa. And uh, again, as part of the work down there, I've been out to the to the crater, to the crash site, to to see what happened. Um, and it's it's still, you know, an issue that's hotly litigated right now, but. Boeing uh, and the FAA have made a number of statements and admissions that have let us put together a lot of the big pieces of the puzzle. We don't have the fine details yet from many of the Boeing documents and, and development and design work that they did. But, but what we know is that, that five months before this crash, another 737 MAX crashed, leaving Jakarta, Indonesia. Um, same flight profile took off, crashed very shortly afterward because the pilots struggled to reach the appropriate altitude and the plane essentially fights them in sort of a, a porpoise move until it hits the ground. And it's a, it's a product of the aerodynamics of the aircraft. You know, the 737 is a plane that's been around since 1967. The very first plane uh, the 19, the, the 737 was built, you know, 50 years ago. Um, over the years, though, Boeing has taken what is a, a workhorse aircraft, the 737, and continued to try to upgrade and make modifications, come out with different versions or iterations of the aircraft. So today we've got the Max 8, 9, and 10 versions that are out there. Vastly different aircraft from what was what was designed and developed 50 years ago. Um, you got problems with that. Now there are benefits, obviously, in trying to stick with something that's tried and true, and and we we've, we've had a test bed here for for 50 years. The problem you have though is when you try to to stretch an aircraft beyond its operational capabilities, and 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 the problems here for the 737 story began when Boeing began to see competition from another aircraft manufacturer called Airbus. They're over in Europe. Um, 
Airbus began to make specific and, and, and heavy inroads into the aviation market and selling a, uh, aircraft that competed directly with Boeing's aircraft. And, uh, you know, you don't, you don't just use every aircraft for every segment of flight. Certain aircraft, a 747, for example, would not be used for a short hop from Dothan to Atlanta, right? It's just not necessary. The infrastructure is not there. The passengers aren't there. So, so different airplanes are suited to different flight segments and different lengths of travel. So Airbus began to sell airplanes that were competing directly with Boeing's airplanes. They were about to lose a, a large number of sales. And so what Boeing did is said, okay, we'll take our 737 that's been around forever and we will modify this with the new engines, with the new flight controls, and we'll try to compete with Airbus. Um, they ran into some, some very specific uh, flight characteristic issues and design problems. Uh, because the old plane, you know, if you think about it, old planes uh, back in the 60s, uh, we didn't have uh, the, the walking the walkways from the airport out into the airplane, right? You had to go out on the tarmac, on the runway, and you had to climb up steps, right? Usually on the back of a pickup truck or, or something, you had to climb those. And so, and, and the baggage handlers, the baggage handlers were out on the ground and they would load the bags underneath the aircraft. And so because of all that, they built planes low to the ground, right? Well, when you use an aircraft that design's been around for 50 years and you, you come to today and you say, well, we're going to put newer, bigger engines, when you start to fit those under the wing, you suddenly have a ground clearance problem because you built planes so low to the ground 50 years ago, right? So. So the Boeing engineers, uh, rather than go back like they should have to the drawing board and start fresh, they said, well, we're going to tweak some things about the 737, about the wing structure and about the engine structure and try to make this work. Um, if, you ever, if you've ever built a, a paper airplane and you throw it one time and it flies a certain way, all right, if you go pick it up and you make a bend to one wing or you crimp the bottom of it, you throw it again, no way it's going to fly the same, right? right? The same principles apply to big commercial aircraft. If you take a commercial aircraft that has a certain flight characteristic, you bring it back to the drawing board and you make changes in the wings, you make changes in the engines, you push them forward, you raise them up, you change the center of gravity. Uh, nothing about that airplane is going to fly the same again, right? And, and Mike, you know, the general public obviously isn't familiar with all of what you know, and I've, I have often heard that using uh, flying is safer than driving cars. Obviously, there's a lot, there's many, many more times cars on the road at any given time than planes in the air. But from a safety standpoint, is it fair to say that flight travel is is a safe method of of travel? In in that millions of people do it every day in comparison you know, I, to per capita cars? Well, statistics can be deceiving, right? Um, and, and you're right, there are, there are more car wrecks every day than there are plane crashes. Uh, and, but, but if you look at the breakdown of the car wrecks and the people who get killed in a car wreck, one or two or three, it's a tragedy every single time. Uh, when a big commercial airliner goes down in the ocean, you lose 189 people per crash, right? Mm -hmm. And so does that make it less important or more important that that plane be designed and maintained 
exactly like it should be. I mean, that's something we shouldn't have to think about. We shouldn't have to, to get on the plane and think, oh gosh, I hope, I hope they designed this one right, or I hope nobody cut corners today, or, you know, so, so it, it, it's, it's a safer method of travel when you look at the number of crashes versus the number of car crashes. If you look at the number of deaths per crash, mm-hmm. statistics are the other way around, right? Right, right. Uh, Mike, I got a big a- question here. Perfect. Francis asks, how can you say there's something wrong with the 737 if it passed all the governmental tests and requirements? And I wow. know that's a, that's a big, broad question. And Maybe you can write off parts of it. Yeah, we could have a whole series of shows on that one. Right. Um, you know, Where's the best place to start on that? The FAA, we, we, we in the public depend on governmental agencies like the FAA, the NTSB, and, and, and for pharmaceuticals, the FDA, right? right? The problem is those companies become beholden to the industries in which they are supposed to police. And so in this case, uh, the FAA, rather than properly exercising oversight and making sure that these airplanes were safe, they delegated that responsibility to Boeing, and Boeing could could and was allowed to by the FAA uh, give them a sign off that says this new version of the 737 is safe. You don't have to have additional training. In fact, because we've had to develop this special software system to to try to help fly these planes, um, you shouldn't even have to tell the pilots about this. So we're next, we're going to take this out of the flight manual. And so, so what happened was rather than the FAA exercising the oversight that they should have, they gave Boeing a, a sort of a, a rubber stamp of approval on whatever they gave. And so it's, it's deceptive um, to think that we have a government that is working to protect us when more often than not, the governmental agencies are on the checkbook or the payroll of the people they're supposed to be policing. Yeah. Mike, we're, we're, you and I could sit here for hours and talk about this, of course. Uh, we're getting close to toward the end of our discussion, but I, I'd like you to, to leave, leave us with some general thoughts about aviation travel. I, I, I know that many people can become very nervous about air travel just because of their very nature of who they are. Their, their chemistry and their constitution just makes it very difficult for them to sure. travel. And then you have people who travel every single day for work or, or for pleasure, and they have no problem. And they've done it for decades. Sure. What are what are some things that, I guess I'm, I'm kind of putting you on the spot a little bit, but tell us, what would you like to share with the general public, just in general, about aviation flight and, and travel? You know, I think in the United States, um, even though we have problems, we have enjoyed a long period of aviation safety. I think as a general rule, aviation is safe. Uh, and, and that's why these incidents that jump out when you've got two crashes of a commercial airliner within five months, same design, really jump out at you because that's not something that's supposed to happen, right? And that that tells you that much more that something is wrong here. Um, again, aviation is is generally safe. It's generally a safe industry. And I'll tell you too that that as a result of what is going on today with the 737 MAX cases, uh, we should be, and I believe we are, going to enter into sort of a watershed moment in that the industry is going to become safer. 
there is a heightened degree of safety and scrutiny and inspection going on right now with aircraft, uh, not just in the United States, but elsewhere, uh, in Europe and in India and in Africa and in Australia. And these companies, these, these countries have, have all made a commitment that they're going to inspect these aircraft themselves and not just rely on the FAA anymore. And so, as you frequently see, after a disaster, you can't undo what's happened, but you can learn from that experience. You can increase your safety. You can rely less heavily on the manufacturer who has a vested interest in telling you that it's safe and do your own work, do your own due diligence and make sure that the aircraft is actually safe. And Mike, you just answered Shannon's question about making a difference. I think that's what's so vitally important with what you and your firm and attorneys who do the type of work that you do. It's bringing to the forefront the issues and problems that are out there with particular products, whether it's a vehicle or a, a, an airliner or whatever it is. It brings it to the forefront and then it helps to create change for the good. So I applaud the efforts that you're doing. I hope that you continue doing that type of work and getting the results that you're you're seeking because it helps everyone. It really does. And I thank you for your time today. I know we could we could be here all day talking, but we both got some stuff we need to be doing. So thank you, Mike, for your time, your expertise, and, and your experience sharing it with us today. Bernard, thank you for the opportunity to come on and speak. Have me back anytime. Oh, my, my pleasure, my friend. Guys, that's going to do it for today. Another excellent discussion uh, with Mike Andrews, the Beasley Wilson Excuse me, golly, type Beasley Allen Law Firm in, in Montgomery. Um, if you guys, uh, we'll put Mike's contact information to his firm in the comments section. So if you have questions or want to follow up with him, you can reach out to his office that way. But uh, guys, as we do every Tuesday at 10 o'clock, we try to come to you uh, each week with interesting conversations with people in their areas of expertise. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week and we'll catch you another time. Be well.